Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Color Authority. This is Judith, and I am going to be interviewing Tandi V. Muryu. She is a self-taught photographer born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. Pursuing photography from already an early age, she is passionate about helping brands communicate through photography so they can get their message across in ways that will not only keep their audiences engaged, but also help them to get their desired response. Now, over the years, she's developed a particular interest in showcasing Africa's unique mix of vibrant cultures, color, and people. Through her personal work, she celebrates her African heritage and tackles important issues such as identity and self-perception using the rich colors and vibrancy the continent is so well known for. Tanive's signature style is indeed colorful, clean, and bold. She indeed still is residing in Nairobi, Kenya, where she teaches workshops and regularly, obviously, travels for her assignments and her worldwide exhibitions. Good afternoon, Tandive. How are you today? And welcome to the Color Authority. I am glad to be here. I am going to ask you the same question that I'm asking everyone in podcasts. I think you know by now what that is, but I'm very curious for your answer. Tandive, what is color to you? You know, I, I looked at that question and as I reflected on it, I thought the only answer I could give is color is everything. Color is life. Color is what excites me. Color is what draws me to an image. Color is how I communicate how I'm feeling in my images. Color is a mood. Color is, it's everything. <laughs> it's life, right? Yeah, it really is. And we're both two people that live in color very clearly, no matter where, you know, even if we're on different continents, it's we're surrounded by it each and every day. Absolutely. So you are a, a photographer and you're not just there to show the beauty of life, the beauty of, all, of obviously of women, of people in generally, of, of Africa as a continent. It's just, just to please the eye. There's an intriguing story behind why you are doing what you're doing. Can you explain the audience a little bit about your choice? So the series I'm most known for is the Camel series. And it began simply as a way to celebrate being African and asking myself the question, what is African beauty? I came from a background of commercial photography and I was very interested in fashion photography. And it goes way back to when I was a teenager and I would always struggle with how I looked. I would struggle with, you know, why doesn't my hair look like what I see on the cover of a magazine, you know, why is my nose so big? Why are my lips so full? These these were always problems for me and, and things I struggled with about myself. And so when I began to shoot personal work, I said, you know, instead of shooting just anything, I want to shoot work that will address some of the issues I face, that will speak into some of the situations I found myself in. And I hoped in my images initially that little girls would look and say, oh, I look like that. She has a big nose like I do. Oh, look, her hair stands up like mine because our hair in its natural state stands. It does not fall. <laughs> um, but over time, the series has evolved to being more than just celebrating beauty and just celebrating African textiles, which are always so colorful and vibrant. It became a way to explore different aspects of my culture, challenge things about my culture, celebrate things about the people within my culture, which is a Kenyan culture, um, and there's, there's many layers to the image, color being the biggest part of it, but there's many different layers in the images that speak to different elements of my experience growing up in this modern Africa. 
you are big on storytelling and I really enjoy storytelling. It's very important in, in my work. I think it's important in anybody who works in design and marketing, but also in your case in photography and art. And I love reading and learning about the Swahili language, which uh, obviously I only know like one or two words. I think one of the, the ones that I learned recently was Umswengo, which one of my, my favorites, but it, it's also about typical African proverbs. I, I personally believe it's important, but it's also African heritage, right? The storyteller is not necessarily always near the campfire as, as it used to, but I feel that's coming back again to the modern African and now it's spreading to the rest of, of, of the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that African heritage and how you are using it in your creative work? It's it's interesting. I never thought I would be in the space of talking about African culture, African heritage, or you know, Kenyan culture, Kenyan heritage, because I'm such a modern Kenyan. And I initially I think were taught, or there, there is a pressure to feeling that to show I'm modern, I want to reject culture. And I want to show I'm very much in line with what's going on in the rest of the world, which can be very different from here sometimes. Mm-hmm. But doing this series has taught me a lot about my culture. And I love to say that it's made me begin to fall in love with my culture in a way I never would have if I never went on this journey. How so? For example, you you talked about the African proverbs. And one of the ways my work has evolved more recently is with every image, I try and pair it with an African proverb because I realized that as much as I'm creating images that are a feast for the eyes, I don't come from a culture that is very visually heavy. We were always storytellers. Culture was passed on by proverbs, by, you know, folklore, stories you tell to children. And I thought if I really, really want to capture what my culture is about, I need to incorporate that in my work. And words can be as beautiful as images. They can be as colorful as images. It's just about finding the right words and pairing them with the right image to add a level of depth. I call it modernizing history. And here's here's what I mean. By myself, I would never go to the library and borrow a book about African proverbs. That's boring. That's old. We don't do that anymore. But it's such an important part of where my culture has come from. And it it, it explains some of the things that we do as Kenyans or as my tribe in particular does. And so it's an important piece of history that I don't want to see lost. But by modernizing history, I can take that proverb and I can pair it with a colorful image that somebody on Instagram can open up and they will read the proverb because it's paired with an image, but they'll never go and look for the proverb on its own. And I think that's important. It's a new way to tell stories. I want people to re-engage with historical aspects that they may not necessarily search for, but if they find paired with something that is exciting to look at, then they can learn a lot more than they would naturally want to explore. So you're visualizing where you come, where you're all about, where you come from, and and also your tribe. You mentioned now your your tribe. What tribe are you from in in Kenya? So I come from the Kikuyu tribe, which is the largest tribe in Kenya. And each tribe, Kenya has many tribes. And each tribe has different beauty norms. Each tribe has different things it's known for, different cultural habits. So for example, one of the stereotypes around Kikuyus is we're very good at business. Whereas, you know, would know another tribe that is known for wearing kambas and known for wearing very bright color combinations. So each tribe has kind of these stereotypes, which often can be true, but it's a way to teach people about my culture. So, for example, in one of the images, the, the subject has a gap between her teeth. And in Kikuyu culture, a woman who has a gap between her teeth is viewed as more beautiful than women without. And so that is a way to 
begin to open up conversations about this, but also to explain that she can determine, she can get higher dowry than a woman without gap. A gap she in her gets teeth. married, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. My mother has a gap in her teeth and I've always thought she's a beautiful woman. And so that's another way to celebrate what beauty looks like from my perspective and my worldview. Well, at least that's then something that there is a commonality with, with also European culture. Obviously, we, we all know the, the famous Brigitte Bardot, who obviously was known for indeed the, the gap within her teeth, but was not a proverb behind it. There was no at least not in my knowledge, there's no story behind it. It's not part of, of a beauty concept within indeed a tribe or, or a culture. It's I, I, Through this work, it's been amazing to see how cultures borrow a lot from each other and, and you can find commonalities with cultures that are way, way far away. You know, maybe there's an Asian culture that shares some of our beauty norms that, you know, I wouldn't know about until I discuss my work or present my work there. And it's been exciting to see Exciting and challenging, I think, to see how narrow my perception of beauty was before I began on this project and how it can encapsulate so much more. I think one of the other ways I celebrate beauty is celebrating resourcefulness and creativity. And so I use everyday objects to make fashion accessories in my work. And part of that is celebrating the resourcefulness of Kenyans because it's such a, there's so much poverty in the country, unfortunately. But one of the unique and beautiful things that's come out of that is every object has more than one purpose and it's used in sometimes comical ways, but it's just, it's just a celebration of making the most of a bad situation and the beauty in that. Yeah. I think that's what's the intriguing thing, which is that, that creativity, which I think the simplicity lies in creativity. I think they're highly connected. And at a certain point you're so overwhelmed because you just have maybe too much stuff and Honestly speaking, I don't think it always helps creativity. Indeed, in your work, you showcase a mix of different African cultures from different tribes, different textiles, different beauty norms or standards, as you call them. Where do you draw your daily inspiration? Where is it coming coming from? I mean, I visited Africa a few times and um, like most people, I fell in love with the continent and its beauty and its colors. But where do you start? I mean, I don't even know where to start because it's too overwhelming when I go to Africa. So it can be. Maybe it helps that I live here every day. So I'm able to filter it a bit better. But everything inspires me. I, I never... This is a difficult question for me. I never have an answer of, oh, I go out for a walk and I'm inspired. It could be I'm walking through a supermarket and I see something and I think that's an interesting shape. Or I'm driving down the street. The other day I was sitting in traffic and um, there's some places in Kenya not connected to water. And so you'd have these men who have hand-drawn carts and they put in plastic, big plastic jars in the back to carry water and deliver it to places. And so in traffic, I was watching this guy deliver some water and his, his um, what do they call the containers that he was carrying the water in were this blue. And then he was wearing a different shade of blue and his pants were another shade of blue. And, you know, I, I stopped and took a picture because I thought, oh, this is incredible. This is a great example of color. And I wonder if it was intentional. Is he trying to brand himself? You know, does he have refreshing water? Did he even think about it? And he just kind of happened to be in all blue that day. So inspiration could come from anywhere. Yeah. One of the places that I keep going back to for inspiration is talking to my grandmother and my mother. Mm-hmm. and beginning to ask some questions about why do we do this? I've noticed many women do A, B, C, D, and why? And in the why, I can often find inspiration. 
Yeah, you talk about those daily, you know, objects that you are using in your, especially in e-commerce series. You can see them, and then obviously in in the press release that you send them, you also explain them. Those, what are some of those objects that we have no knowledge about, and you think are are maybe inspiring, or how do you match them together? Like you have a certain camo, you have a certain color, a pattern that you've selected. Maybe you selected the model, and you know also her hairdo. And then how do you then connect that to that daily, the daily object that you want to showcase as part of indeed your, your heritage? I think in, in two ways. So everything begins with a print. Everything begins with the color of the print, the pattern of the print. I'm looking for very modern prints that are slightly confusing to the eyes. Of course, that are bold, vibrant colors. And sometimes I will change the colors because they're just not strong enough or contrasting enough. But from there, I then think, okay, let's look at shapes. And so if I have a print that's triangles, maybe I don't want glasses that are triangles. I want something circular. Mm -hmm. And I have a habit, wherever I go, I'm going to step into the supermarket and see what's being sold there or on the side of the road. So I have this whole collection of random objects I've collected from all over Kenya. And so I'll go into this big box of random objects and say, oh, what fits well with this print? What there needs to be a relationship between the prints and the objects that I use. They need to play well together visually. And I don't think I could say these are the five principles. It's very much intuitive. I think this will go well with this. And then sometimes I have a specific story that I want to tell in an image. And so I'll say, which object helps me explain the story in this image? Maybe the hair was traditionally during wedding ceremonies. And so I'm looking for an object that ties in some way into our beauty culture connected to weddings. For example, we talked earlier about how you select color and you said that it's highly intuitual. Um, so it's really it's your gut feeling like this red. And then, as you said, you like contrasting and it's very clear from your photography. It's highly contrasting. It also the patterns are sometimes what I call kinetic. Um, they may create some kind of dizziness sometimes when you look at them, which obviously makes them almost 3D. But mm -hmm. the color selection per se, you know, when you talk about color. Africa is full of color. Kenya is full of color. Every tribe has different colors. How, how do you select those per se? Or is there already, as you said, is there a certain scheme that you tend to use, like a, a preferred color palette that you use? I think I've always been drawn to warm colors. And so left to myself, I'll always incline that way. I do love my blues. I love blue and yellow is a beautiful, timeless combination. But, you know, wearing... A, a, an orange with a pink or a red with a purple, you know, just kind of more warm colors has always been my thing. That's a good question. <laughs> How to answer that. How do I pick my colors? Is that, is that at the core, that's what it is. I decide what I want to communicate. So color is a very strong communication tool. And sometimes I'll even use color combinations I don't love, but they communicate what I'm trying to say. Here's an example. If my model in my image is in a very strong, very powerful pose, then I don't want a timid color. I don't want a pastel yellow. I may want a bold red. I may want black. I may want something that communicates power, undeniable power. And so I'm going to go ahead and look for a color combination that says that, something that is aggressive in your face. But then some of my images are more playful. So I have one image where her glasses are made out of tinsel, which we put on our Christmas trees here. And we love doing that with it. But the bigger use for tinsel in Kenya is during cultural celebrations, especially 
ones of accomplishment. So whether it's a wedding or it's graduating from university or it's coming home from being abroad after a while, your community will receive you with a wreath of tinsel and put it around your neck. Ah. And so it symbolizes celebration with the community. With an object like that as my eyewear, then I want it to be a very joyful, very fun, very playful image. And so I had tinsel in, you know, a pink kind of maroon color. And I paired it with yellow because yellow is such a happy color. Yellow is a color of joy, a color of delight, almost childish delight. And so those two together, they look good together, but they also drive the message home. When I explain the image, you can feel the joy through the color. So what are those? Because you said, you know, my, my tribe has particular colors and Kenya has tons of colors. How are maybe your tribe colors different than from other Kenyan tribe colors different and, and in Africa in general? How can you recognize somebody that comes from really from your particular tribe or, or from Kenya? I think some tribes have colors that are very much um, associated with them. And then there's some that don't. So I don't think the Kikuyu have a very strong color identity. Mm-hmm. because our identity might be in other things. But for example, the Maasai tribe has color combinations that they use that are very clearly theirs. And even the Maasai in Tanzania may use white beads, whereas the ones in Kenya don't use white in their beadwork. And the beadwork and the colors used communicate different things. But one of the easiest ways to tell the differences would be, maybe it's easier to talk about regions. Different regions in Africa have distinct styles of Number one, how they use colors and how they incorporate them into prints. So a lot of my work comes with the prints from West Africa. And they tend to have very strong colors and very modern geometric prints. They're they're kind of ahead in the curve of modernizing these prints. Whereas if you look at the prints in Tanzania, for example, they may be more browns and creams in the prints and more floral prints. In Kenya, we are known for a fabric that is from our coastal region which is known as the Kanga. And it has very, very modern colors, lime greens, hot pinks, hot oranges, which you may not find in other fabrics. And then the print is very distinct and different. It's a combination of two different prints on one cloth. So different regions have different identities rather than maybe tribe specific. There's a few examples, but not across every single tribe in Kenya. That's super interesting. I, I've got a few of them laying around. I'll show you them later. And then you tell me where they're from because okay. I, I'm, I I did some graphics around them. And obviously I went here in Milan to, to, to buy them. And there were so many different stories. And in the end, I was, I was like, oh, there's way too much going on here. But I'll show them. And then um, I'm curious to, to know where, which one indeed it is from. Because as you said, yeah. there's so much, there's so many patterns, so many messaging also on, on the patterns and on the textiles itself, which is it's high, highly inspirational. I think generally what we've seen over the last couple of years already is that the creative industry, whether it's fashion, especially fashion, but also design in generally is really booming on the African content. And we can see that there is a certain popularity. Do you see this also with regards to your work? Do you see that there's a, a rise in interest? Hold on, I was going to talk about Prince for a second before I answer that question. Go ahead. Um, it's interesting that, and maybe this is relevant to the, the podcast, but it's interesting that even the prints and the colorways themselves go through different trends and cycles. So what is in now, 10 years ago, the fabrics you'd find, even from the same region, are very different in how they combine and use their colors. And so the prints are very much a reflection of the time they were created in, 
or the period, the fashion, maybe not quite the fashion trends, but just the space people are in. So you say how there's a big awakening around Africa and even internally, we're waking up to the fact that we need to appreciate our own cultures, our own way of doing things, even as maybe we modernize it. I think the prints reflect that. You know, now we're getting prints with lime green and pink. Those are colorways you would never find before. Mm-mm. You might find like a red, a royal blue, but never those colorways. And so it's how we feel is showing in the prints. And the prints are almost historical in that sense. Yeah, they preserve the mood of Africa. It means I have to go back and buy new ones. And then really? it's interesting yeah. to see the difference <laughs> between <laughs> what I bought now, I think at least four years ago, five years ago, maybe even, and what, what they're offering now, because um, I'd be curious to see that. And and the, the colors and the prints that I wear would be very different from what my mother would wear. So even in my work, you're seeing very modern prints because I'm part of the new young modern Africa. And so how we wear the fabrics, the, the combinations of colors, the styles we, you know, make garments from are very different from what my mother would wear. So it's, and, and I could buy something and a year from now, there's no way I could ever find it again. Yeah, no, indeed. And also now that you've touched upon that point, indeed, what it means indeed to, to be first to, to be to be African, but also how the creative industry has been enrolling, to be very honest, and that's probably pure ignorance or promotion, marketing, social media. What we nearly see is creative industry out of Nigeria, a lot of IT, of course, as well, out of Nigeria and Kenya. But I'm sure they're not the only ones. <laughs> I'm very sure. But these are the biggest hubs, let's say, where we see a lot of new creative industries popping up. Where do you see other, like other other countries, cities that you really think, like people, if you're doing like my listeners, trend research, color research, look look at those because there's something happening here. I think surprisingly, Ethiopia, it has its traditional fabrics and colorways: the green, the yellow, and the red. But I, it's interesting to see some of the combinations they do in their weaving. And it has a flavor and personality of its own. They use purples, which is not a surprising, not a very common color I've seen, but they tend to use purples really well. So that would be a place I would look. Nigeria is the most well-known, but Ghana, Ghana is king. When it comes to textiles, Ghana is king. And um, somehow that's just always been their thing. Even in Kenya, we know... So we have our, our Kenyan fabrics as a Maasai Shuka. There's, you know, things we're known for. But when we really want to bring on our A-game, we go to West Africa, Ghana and Nigeria. And we've always known this. My grandmother knew this. My mother knew this. So Ghana really, really somehow seems to, has rooted its identity in just its textiles and keeping on the cutting edge of that. So that would be a great place to look. Oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's good. That's good inside uh, information. And that hasn't changed because if it was your grandma and if it was your mom and now you, this is like really continuing, let's say, inspiration for many in the fashion and interior design industry. Yeah. yeah. South Africa has some really interesting prints um, and a flavor of its own. So that would be an interesting place to look. They, they've somehow mastered the art of bringing modernity to textiles, to colorways, in a way maybe the rest of us are lagging behind on a little bit. So that would be a good place to look at what is cutting edge. And then interesting colorways would come from somewhere else, but cutting edge and how it's being used. South Africa is very much in that space. Okay, that's, that's good information. What is the biggest misconception 
the Western world has about Africa and generally the creative industry that this is your time, set it straight? <laughs> I think the biggest misconception is that we need to be taught to tell our stories. I don't think that's true. I think we have powerful stories and we tell them in our own way. And we just need to be given the platform to do that. My work in some senses is a reflection of that. It's not that I'm, I'm telling my story. I'm telling my experience of being a woman in an unconventional field for Kenya in Africa. And, and my story doesn't, I'm not changing my story. All I'm doing is presenting it in a way that others can share it with me. And I think the misconception is that we don't know how to tell our stories, but we do. Our voice just sounds a little different, but I'm so excited by what's going on in the art space because people are curious and willing to hear our stories in the ways we want to tell them, yeah. which is a change from the past, I think. Yeah, I think it, it it has. And I think it's an important change. I don't think it's happening because people are bored with their own their own culture. I think generally there's been a very big platform for culture, no matter where you are in the world. There is a lot of people that are trying to get, as you said, getting back in touch with their own identity and wanting to share that. So I guess it's a little bit of this anti-globalization thing. Yes, you want to share it with the world, but then you're also going a little bit back to, to your own roots. Um, and I think right now Africa has, a, thank God, finally a platform. I know, woken up. <laughs> well, the world has woken up. I mean, maybe I that's think, more of the point. Yeah. I think a little bit we've woken up to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everything I was taught growing up was I need to reject my culture to show I'm modern. And it's taking, now in my adult life, it's taking everything I know to say, hang on, maybe there's the best of both worlds. And it's not one or the other, but I'm this unique new modern blend. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You are, well, as you come across, you are a very strong woman that knows what she wants, but you're also a very vivid ambassador of female empowerment, in particular, obviously, of African women. How do you believe that through your work, you can increase this empowerment? I think all, right off the bat, one of the basic ways is there are very few uh, commercial female photographers in Kenya. And so even being a photographer in and of itself is a big deal because even my grandmother to date asks me, oh, you're still doing the job for men. And that's <laughs> the, the mindset around it. I mean, she, she just cannot wrap her head around, you know, this man's job that I'm doing. But right off the bat, I'm hoping that people will look and say she wanted to do photography. This is what she loved. And she went after it, irrespective of it being earmarked as this is for men. I think another easy way that I'd hope my work would empower other women is they can look and they can see themselves. Mm -hmm. Women are so critical of how they look. I, I'm yet to meet a woman who says, I feel amazing and beautiful. I love everything about me never happened. I don't think it will ever happen. And so there is so much room to speak into that space and say, to speak life into that space and say, different is okay. Unconventional is okay. You are a complete package. You just need to kind of unwrap the different layers of yourself, but there's nothing you need to add. There's nothing you need to subtract. You are complete. And the biggest gift in life is realizing that for yourself. I still struggle with that and have to kind of on a daily basis, challenge different aspects of myself. I think, oh, not feeling too confident about that. But going back and saying, actually, nope, 
you've got this, you can do this. And then beyond that, I hope that women looking at my work will be challenged to begin to ask questions about themselves and say, what don't I like? Uh, what am I struggling with? And I think there is strength in learning yourself and getting to know yourself. That gives you a foundation that is unshakable. And so I hope I provide an opportunity for women to ask these questions and to put in a foundation that will allow them to go anywhere they want in life. Oh, amen to that. I think that's a global thing. No matter where you were born and raised, we all, we tend to criticize ourselves. Women are Not women even receiving criticism. Yeah. yeah. And it's been reinforced. I mean, we've always been taught you're, at least in, in African culture, you know, your role is supportive, you're here to help, but we're not taught we're here to lead. Yeah. We're not taught people can help you, you lead, you know. Yeah. What is it like indeed? What I mean, what is it like to be a, a, a Black female artist today? And how do you feel that that has uh, maybe finally is starting to open doors where, as you said, I'm doing a male job. Um, but, I mean, you've you've probably struggled along the way to get where you are right now. So what it's like to be a black female artist today? I think it's in Kenya is where it's unusual. So I was reading statistics on photographers and I mean, no way. These are in no way the current figures. But I think they were saying over half of the students who go into university for photography are women. Mm-hmm. But practicing industry professionals are under 17 percent. Mm. And so somewhere, somewhere there, there's a disconnect happening. Um, in Kenya, it's we, we barely began getting photography schools. It's very much because it's such a hands-on, technologically heavy job, it's viewed as uh, that's a guy thing. And so I have had to fight for my space here. I have had to say, no, hold on. I do have something to contribute. I can, I can keep up, maybe even to say, maybe it's good I'm a woman. I have a different view of things. I see the world differently and that can help brands in their messaging or, you know, it can help create beautiful art. I think in the art space, it's a little different. It's a lot more welcoming. Maybe I've been met with more of a sense of curiosity and, and the keen desire to learn and hear my message, which is, is a nice change. I think very much like you said, like we spoke about, the world is it's very aware of just what's going on in Africa. And there's a new wave of, there's new life going to the continent. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. And being part of that wave has been exciting because it means I have been given platforms that I could never imagine be, being on before. It's It's been a little challenging, I think, because I've had to learn as an artist, even as I am bringing my culture to the world stage. It's not that it's ever been brought before, but even as I bring my experience in my culture to the world stage, how do I retain authenticity? How do I remain truly, you know, African? Is my identity just that of a Black female artist or am I more than just that identity? You know, is there there need to be more than that identity? Is it important to retain an identity beyond that? Or is that what the important part of, you know, my space is? No, but I think identity is obviously something that is very hard because we have multiple identities, right? We are daughters, we're maybe moms, we're wives, we're um, designers, we're photographers. There's so many identities that you can choose from. Important indeed maybe is that you're not fully let by just one or not even just a mix of those. But because if you tend to lose that one, then who are you? 
I think at the core, what I'm trying to express is it has been a very exciting space to be a Black female artist. It is a continual journey for me to discover what exactly that means. Mm-hmm. And is that the, the beginning and end of it all? Or is there more to it? What opportunities does it open up? What messages do I need to bring into that space that maybe have not been brought before? What is the responsibility attached to being that? And how can I be in that space well, that I am breaking ground for a good foundation for the people coming behind me to build on? That's Beyond a big just, responsibility. It is a big yeah. responsibility you're giving yourself as 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 woman, as artist, as as Kenyan. It's 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 quite you know it's a lot on your shoulders. Yeah, Kenya has a very strong culture of painters and journalists on the global platform, much less to photographers selling fine art. So it's a very new space for the industry here. You talked earlier about the modern woman in Africa. Who is that woman? And how has she changed over the last couple of years? Oh, I like this question. (laughs) Well, the modern woman is, now she has a job and she has dreams. She may be a woman who's brave enough to say, maybe I don't want children, but I'm content in my role as, you know, a wife, maybe not even that, but maybe as a provider. She's a woman who's educated. There has been a very big push around education here and realizing that girls need to stay in school because Nairobi is a bubble. In Nairobi, you will find lots of educated people, lots of working women. But the moment you leave Nairobi, the reality on the ground is very much that girls get married off early for many reasons. It could be poverty. It could be culture, you know, whatever the reason. But um, more and more, there's an understanding that it's important to educate women. My grandmother Partly why I am an educated woman is because of my great-grandmother who was there during the time of Kenya's fight for independence and her parents put her into school. And so she decided when her children were born that they would not get married off when they were in the third grade, which is typically when they get married off back then. And so my grandmother made it all the way up to the eighth grade, which was unheard of. She said by the time she was getting married, only she she and her sisters were the only girls in the school. Everybody else had been married off. And when she married my grandfather, she told him, I will marry you on condition that you take me to high school. (laughs) And so when my mother, so they got married, they had, you know, my mom and her two siblings. And so when my mom was two years old, because she's a youngest sibling, they went off to the U.S. in the 60s. And my grandmother went to high school as my grandpa got his undergraduate degree. And so when she came back, she said, my children must go to university. And so my mother went to university. Yeah. And so my grandmother's like, I hope you're getting a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> but very much so there's understanding the, that educating women empowers them and empowers families. And that's important. So that's a really big change. Yeah. I think women are beginning to have a voice and beginning to say, hold on, we want to question some things that we've been told. And I'm very much part of that. And not not in an aggressive way, but to say, please explain to me why I need to keep doing this. How does it benefit my family? How does it benefit my future? Because now I'm thinking about my future. Whereas before I was told what my future was. Yeah, Um, having less freedom then and actually also not that much choice. Yeah. So now I am active in decisions around my life. I think I have my dad to thank for being a modern woman. My dad always taught me you have something to contribute and you can be confident in that. And there's a room to ask questions. There's a room to grow. There's a room to be in places that are maybe not conventional for women, but 
you can see how they will help you achieve what you want to achieve and you can move in confidence in those spaces. So Reminds me of the, um, this, I think it was in Swahili, the, the, the African proverb mm. that you used in one of your photography about the mosquito. Can you repeat it? Yes. If you think you're too small to make a difference, try spending the night with a mosquito. Yeah. Reminded very much of what you were saying right now is that no matter who you are in this world, you can be what you want to be. You know, you can grow, you can learn, educate yourself, get out there. I think the biggest thing is like women for, for the, not for the first time, but now women feel like they're allowed to dream and you don't have to make an excuse for having a dream. It's okay to dream. Yeah. yeah. So is your family proud of what you're doing? Oh yeah. <laughs> My dad introduced me to photography, so he is over the moon. <laughs> Yeah. But I think more so, I think they're proud because my dad very much wanted to empower us to pursue, be brave enough to pursue what we're passionate about, whatever it may be. And so because I'm doing that, I think that's where the pride comes from. Not even what I'm doing, but the fact that I had the courage to pursue what I was passionate about. Yeah. I think that all shows in, in, in your work. You know, when you're passionate about something and you're following what you're not just good at, but what you feel, I think it shows in, in the quality of, of your work. So really um, kudos on that one. When we talk about just generally the buzzword of the millennia, obviously, besides female empowerment, self-perception, empathy, big one, we're not really getting there with what's going on in the world currently, I think, but the word sustainability, you stated at some point, something that I read in another interview is that when you have little, you transform and reuse it. What lesson can the rest of the world draw from this? I think one of the things that always surprises me when I leave... Africa in general, I think, is the amount of waste, just the amount of waste everywhere. And my heart breaks just seeing that because I think, oh, you have no idea what we could use that for back home. <laughs> and maybe there is, there is a challenge to be aware of how much waste we generate and to try and see how... There's not much choice in terms of packaging. When I buy a product, it comes in the packaging it comes with. But is there a way I can reuse, recycle? It's a big part of, you know, sustainability. I think a big lesson is just because I've used it one time doesn't mean it has no other purpose. I cannot use it again. There's many objects that can be used more than once. In different ways, sometimes you have to get a little creative, sometimes not so much. But just because I've used this once, just because I've opened it, doesn't mean I can't use it in any other way, is a big thing I see here that I'm very proud about our culture for. I'm trying to think of a really good example. Bottle caps. Bottle caps are some of my favorite things in the world. They have so many purposes here. So, you know, they close a drink and you open it up, but it could be used for so many other things. We make jewelry out of bottle caps, for example. And we understand it's it's just metal. And so it can be fashioned into, you know, accessories that you could wear. We make toys out of bottle caps. We make these little cars that you can push around, you can push around. And it's a great way to just reuse this waste that would otherwise have been thrown away. I think the big challenge is, is the mindset that somebody else has to do the thinking for you. I think there's a space to personally challenge ourselves, each and every person to say, can I get creative with what's in my home? Do I have to throw that out? Can I give it away? Can I, you know, with furniture, can I give it a facelift? There's many things you could do with what we have. And, and maybe at a very basic level, understanding that you probably have enough. Do I really need that? Maybe I have enough. 
Yeah. And you can maybe personalize it, right? Because you sometimes also use, you know, recycled products within indeed your, your photography. And it also influences color use, right? Because you, you're mixing different colors and it creates a whole new story as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's been a personal challenge to broaden how I think. I now walk around and I don't just see a cup. I don't just see a pen. I see an opportunity mm-hmm. to recycle or an opportunity to create. And that's good. That means that I will use that pen and I'll finish it. But then, hey, I can do something else with it now. Like so many creators, and I know you're very busy right now because you just opened an exhibition in in Australia. You're now preparing, obviously, an exhibition in New York. You're very, very busy. Now, when I'm very busy, I I have a hard time getting creative because I need to literally be bored out of my mind. When does your creativity hit or when are you at your best to really create what you need? I have come to the humble understanding that I create best from rest. I'm one of those creatives who needs to take time out to create. I went through a season in 2019, uh, 2018, where I just hated photography. I was just completely burnt out. And I realized it was just because I had no rest. I'd go from one set to another. And so now I'm working to very intentionally craft spaces to rest because when I'm rested, when I'm relaxed is when I'm somehow able to look at something and see it in new light. I'm able to look at a print and hear what it's trying to say or see it move or see what I could make it into. And so being self-care, being intentional about rest and allowing my mind to wander almost is where my best creativity comes from. There's moments, you know, there's a whole project I drew up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I was sleeping, trying to get sleep. And then somewhere about 2 a.m. I was like, I have an idea. And I got up, went to my computer. And in two hours, I was like, "This, the message is clear. I know exactly where I want to go with this project. But it has to come from a place of rest. And I think as a creative, I always feel the pressure of creatives are supposed to create, right? So what else am I supposed to do except create? But sometimes creating can be the problem. You just need to take some time out and do something completely different or not do anything at all. And that is part of the creation process. And it's okay. That is it's very true. What's next for you? <laughs> I think I love the camo series and I would love to incorporate as many fabrics as I could and colorways as I could imagine. I definitely want to explore new work. Still very much, I think color will always be a part of my DNA. I don't know how to do life without color. Life without color is meaningless. And so still in the color space, exploring how can I use color to communicate and to bring a message, whatever the message may be, to an audience? And what fresh new ways could I do it in? But as well as lots of exhibitions this year, lots of solo (laughs) shows, which is exciting. (laughs) That's a part. That's the moment where you get to see your work on the wall and just observe people that are enjoying it. And you're just like, I did that. That is the best part. I think one of the big lessons we're speaking about color. And one of the most amazing lessons I have learned in using color is just the power of it to speak across different generations and different audience. It's amazing that when I exhibit many times, children stop in front of my work. And I think it's just They may not understand the deeper messaging. They may not know anything about culture, but color still speaks to them. And it's powerful. It's a powerful tool of communication that you just can never ignore. 
And so seeing children respond or seeing adults respond to colors I thought were very childish and playful, but having them, you know, have what they'll talk about memories from their childhood based on just these colors and how the colors make them feel. And I mean, that is the most, most rewarding part of exhibiting as an artist. I can imagine. I think that is indeed the perfect end to our podcast. Color is a universal language that in the end, everybody understands. I think that's a perfect takeaway. Tanivay, thank you so much for making time for me and for being on the Color Authority podcast. I loved having you. Welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of the Color Authority. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you're listening on Spotify, please rate the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send us your feedback. This is always very, very welcome. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking to Marianne Schillingford. She is creative director at Deluxe at Exo Noel. She's also founder of the Color Design Awards starting right now in June. Together with some fabulous judges, she's going to be reviewing and awarding emerging design talent. So stay tuned. Next episode coming out in two weeks. Have a lovely, lovely, colorful day.